Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hello, everyone. It is another episode of the Mahogany Moms podcast, and we have a special guest with us today. I'm Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, educational psychologist, mental health therapist, parenting coach, and author. And so today we have with us, like I said, we have a special guest. Um, Her name is Michelle. She is a managing director of a professional services firm, but I'm going to let her tell us more about who she is and what she does. Michelle, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you, Dr. Whitaker. I am excited to be here and to share my story and hopefully it helps, you know, other moms out there. I'm a managing director for a professional services firm and I manage some of, you know, a couple of our largest clients where basically we are helping, you know, large companies do things better. Things could be supply chain, mergers and acquisitions, counting, any number of things, strategy, customer strategy, marketing, any number of things. Awesome. Oh, and so I forgot to tell you, um, although she she alluded to it, she is a mom. And so on this podcast, she's going to be talking about what it's been like for her as a mom. So tell us about your journey into motherhood. So, you know, it was a bumpy journey. (laughs) (laughs) We were very excited, but um, actually I found out that I had, I mean, as many black women have uterine fibroids, mm-hmm. I had uterine fibroids that were degenerating while I was pregnant. So it caused mm-hmm. for a crazy pregnancy actually where I was hospitalized twice and on bed rest for six months actually. And then at the end of that period, you know, the neonatologist and my, my OB and we, you know, we delivered what we thought was a healthy baby. And then we found out that she was mostly healthy and there were some challenges. So. And on top of it, she was born three days before Hurricane Ike hit Houston. So born on a Tuesday, she went to the NICU on Wednesday, Ike hit that Friday. So I'm recovering from a C-section in a rocking chair next to her in the NICU. My husband's at home, the power goes out. I mean, it was was quite an ordeal. ordeal. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I can't imagine you're, you just had a baby. Um, she's in the NICU and then there's a hurricane, the power goes out. Oh my God. And there's a hurricane, exactly. And so, I mean, and I'm, you know, literally recovering in the hospital next to her in a, you know, recliner and it was all kind of crazy. And I, and I was, you know, a first time mom. And I think what was, you know, what you don't know and what I think ends up happening with the parents of a lot of special needs kids is, you know, in the NICU, a lot of kids come out of the NICU with things, issues, challenges, and the severity can vary, right? And at the time, you often don't know. And that was our situation. We really didn't know the severity of what was going on. So we found out effectively that she wasn't hearing well and she wasn't feeding well. And we didn't know if that was related. We didn't know if there were other things, you know, challenges with other organs. We didn't know a lot of anything at that point. So that set up a series of tests. We confirmed that she had, yeah, go ahead. And was this one, was this when she was in the NICU or once you brought her home? So this was first in the NICU, they started doing more tests. And then um, after about 10, 11 days in the NICU, we brought her home came home with a feeding tube um, and we were still doing tests to kind of confirm things, check things out. I mean, the doctors are kind of like, well, you know, things happen with babies. So it could be just fluid in her ear. So let's keep, you, you go back and you test to confirm the diagnosis of hearing loss. Okay. And then there's actually different types of hearing loss. So then you kind of go on that journey or like her not feeding. Well, is that just, She's having a coordination problem with her mouth because, you know, Mm -hmm. babies do that. Mm -hmm. Or is it something else? Is it something um, brain trauma or brain injury or something? So there's a pretty wide span of things. Later, we find out, you know, she's just her own person and she didn't eat. And so one day she decided, you know what? I hate the feeding tube. I'm going to eat. Literally, (laughs) my child was less, a little bit less than two months old. 
and put her tiny little finger and, you know, next to the feeding tube and pulled it out and took a bottle and never again to use a feeding tube. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and it's funny because I think, you know, and I tell that story partially because it's funny, but also partially because it demonstrates her personality. Mm-hmm. And then also, I think there's this thing that like, you know, especially these kids, there's all sorts of things they can do. There's all sorts of things that they're not going to look like a textbook about anything. Right. Right. I mean, my child certainly didn't and doesn't. And so you just kind of go on the journey and you take cues from them mm-hmm. and you keep advocating for them and you keep going on the journey. So what was a rather stressful, crazy time, the first few weeks of her life. I mean, you know, she's a feisty 12 year old now who, <laughs> is a feisty 12 year old. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's two months, she pulls the feeding tube, decides she's gonna start eating. Um, she's over the feeding tube. So what happened after, or when did you get yes. a diagnosis? So for hearing loss, there is a test called an um, auditory brainstem response. And basically they place these little electrodes on the baby's head and kind of a microphone-esque thing in their ears. And they can basically send a sound and then measure the brain to see if the brain registers the activity. Mm. And what we didn't know then that we know now is, you know, there, there, are two, there are two steps in that. First, there's the hearing step. Then there's the step of your brain making, the acti- uh, making sense of the activity. So for my daughter, what ended up happening, and, and we didn't find this out until after several tests, right? Because mm-hmm. babies, they're, they're growing rapidly. They're changing every day, newborns especially. And so you go back and you do this follow-up ABR test every month. And the, the results were generally the same, but maybe slightly different. And you just keep doing it to see if something's going to change because, you know, babies change rapidly. Mm-hmm. So ultimately for her, around the nine month window, we figured out her brain was hearing it some, but her brain was, I mean, I'm sorry, her, her ear, she was hearing it, but her brain didn't always make good sense of it. Okay. So effectively there's a type of hearing loss called sensory neural hearing loss, where basically there's damage in the, the, the nerves that allow for hearing. It's the most common type of hearing loss. My child, very, very much the individual, the one who pulled the feeding tube out, doesn't have the typical kind. (laughs) She has something called auditory neuropathy. And that's where the sound gets to the brain at some level, but the brain doesn't make sense of it. Mm. So effectively, that's like having a radio, an old school radio, slightly on the wrong channel, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a little staticky or just certain words come in sometimes. And sometimes it just, the station goes out and you don't hear anything. Mm. So effectively that was her path. Now along the way, you start learning things like this word cochlear implant, which I knew nothing about at the time she was born. Um, When we first got her official diagnosis of hearing loss and that she was deaf, actually this was, yeah, the audiologist told us that she was deaf. That's who we got the diagnosis from. And she told us about cochlear implants and Mm. we should go read and study and learn. She gave us some pamphlets. She told us about a parent support group so we could talk to other parents of uh, children who were deaf. And so we did those things. We followed up on those things. You also have to get hearing aids for a six month trial prior to getting the cochlear implants. That's the FDA requirement there. So how old is, how old is she at this point? So she got her hearing aids at seven weeks because we're, we're testing. Seven, you said seven weeks? Yes. Seven weeks she had hearing aids. Oh, okay. And because we were doing this test and actually I said, you know, in the, in the early stay, the first two months we were, we did, once we got out of the NICU, the next week we were getting the ABR and the following week we did an ABR and then they kind of confirmed that it was hearing loss. And then we were in kind of a monthly schedule. Well, we did get the hearing aid so we could start down this process of getting a cochlear implant. And essentially, if you're severe to profound hearing loss, so people talk about percentages and the like, Mm -hmm. the way I normally describe it to people is a person who with severe to profound hearing loss, 
cannot hear, would, would hear a jet on the runway mm-hmm. taking off, standing next to it, but couldn't hear, you know, and may be able to hear a vacuum cleaner, a loud old vacuum cleaner, because they're quieter now. <laughs> but they couldn't hear regular conversation and the like. If you don't hear regular conversation, you don't start talking. Mm-hmm. And so we started speech immediately. Actually, at seven weeks, with the hearing aids, we started speech. And a lot of that is recognizing sound. And then we started on this path to learn about cochlear implants. And then we learn at nine months that it's not just sensory neural hearing loss. It's this thing called auditory neuropathy itself. It it, it is a spectrum disorder. I love spectrum disorders. Because all (laughs) that means is nobody really knows. Right. (laughs) They can have a little this and they can have a little that. And it's just all the spectrum, right? So um, I know people with autism, you know, people um, whose kids have autism, they're very used to, yeah, my kid's on a spectrum and and there's some things Mm -hmm. that they do and there's things that they don't do. Well, hearing loss, this particular type of hearing loss is also a spectrum. So we were in the process of learning more about it. We being very proactive parents, we, um, we did a lot of research. We found out who knew about this special type of hearing loss. We flew to visit them. We did tests and other, um, so uh, University of Colorado has an extensive audiology clinic where they can do some additional tests and kind of make sense of the initial ABR test that we were doing. So they basically, they could tell us more about her brain's maturity when it comes to sound. And, you know, my very unique child, basically the test came back as, yeah, I don't, we haven't seen that. We don't, we don't know what that is. <laughs> wow, she's a trailblazer. She is a trailblazer. And it's funny because I can laugh about these things now because now that's just how we see our daughter. Like if there is a unique way to do it, that's the way she's going to do it. And that's how we see her now. At the time, you can imagine, it's very frustrating. It is, she's got hearing loss. It's an atypical kind of hearing loss. Oh, and I failed to mention, she also had strabismus, so her eyes would float a little bit, and she had a golf ball-sized hernia. So they were like, well, the hernia is not going to close on itself, uh, close by itself. And really, with hearing loss, you want her eyes to work as well as possible mm-hmm. so that she can kind of offset you know, the sensory information she gets. So we started the process of what ultimately became with cochlear implant surgeries, and I'll get to that in a minute, and eye surgeries, seven surgeries before she was three. Oh, wow. So we didn't know that at the outset, but that's effectively, you know, in listening to doctors and getting advice and trying to do what we thought and what we, what we thought based on the information we had was best for her. Mm-hmm. That's just where we landed. So yeah, so we're getting, so we're, we're, we're constantly at doctors. We are seeing, you know, the pediatrician. We had to see, of course, a surgeon to work on the hernia. We had to see an ophthalmologist, a pediatric ophthalmologist to work on the strabismus. And basically, so around that time, we found out it was auditory neuropathy. That's nine months. She had her first surgery then for the strabismus. And we were able to do strabismus and the hernia together in the first surgery. Okay. Then her right ear was done at one. Her left ear was done at 15 months. And then we thought we were good. And then the eyes, we needed to go back and do the eyes. And then by then, we kind of figured out there was something weird going on with her implant. So the way a cochlear implant works effectively, there's an internal part that's surgically implanted. Mm -hmm. There's a hole that's drilled in your cochlea and they feed an electrode through that hole into your inner ear. If you're a normal hearing person, your inner ear has hair cells. Those hair cells vibrate in the fluid. That sends an electrical signal through your auditory nerve to your brain to register sound. Yes, I've had to learn a lot about this. Yes, I could tell. (laughs) (laughs) And with hearing loss, somewhere along the line, those things don't work. The cochlear implant bypasses the part that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It gathers all the sound with an external part that just sits on her ear and looks like a hearing aid. 
gathers all the sound and it sends it through the electrode to her brain as sound. Her bro we had to train her brain effectively to hear sound. And we did that through speech therapy. And, and, and then, we, so we trained it to hear sound, then we trained it to understand speech and language and, you know, build on that. And, and that takes, that can take years, that can take months. Most people, it takes a few years for the kids to kind of really make good use of their cochlear implant. Well, uh, let me ask my, you, yeah. so at seven weeks, when she started working with the speech therapist, were you all thinking, or was a speech therapist recommending that you all start learning sign language? So that's a great question. So it's kind of a choice. So what, what the audiologist told us initially when we got the diagnosis that she's deaf is that we could choose sign language mm -hmm. or we could choose listening and spoken language, which would be, she would need technology to do that. And the technology to do that was a cochlear implant. Okay. For our family, no one else in our family has hearing loss. I mean, granted, older people in our family, old people. It's <laughs> a very different thing. No one else has hearing loss or is deaf for any other reason mm -hmm. than, you know, being elderly. And so we decided that we wanted her to be able to communicate with her family. Okay. We had read some information and heard from others that often children who are deaf, if they're the only person who's deaf, they end up very isolated, even mm -hmm. inside their family. Yes. And I couldn't tolerate that. I couldn't, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't imagine that. I had the fortune of going to an elementary and middle school where there were deaf kids in, in the school. Mm -hmm. And, and so I knew of deaf kids. So we did like our extracurricular activities and stuff together. And so I knew of deaf kids that were, that had a relatively normal lives, yes. but back then when I was older, cochlear implants weren't offered to children yet. And so they were still somewhat isolated. Mm -hmm. And I, and so I had a sense of what that could be like and having to think about teaching everyone in our family sign language. Okay. That's great. Well then what happens when she goes to a restaurant or what happens when she, it would just limit the number of people she could talk with and, and, and communicate with. So that was a choice our family made. Okay. Okay. So you decide on cochlear implants. So it, once you get the cochlear implants, is that it? Like for the rest of her life, is she good or she has to? Rest of her life, she'll have cochlear implants. You know, technology is rapidly changing. The, the implants will change. Is there a likelihood that in the future there'll be some advancement that makes it different? Probably. Um, we'll deal with that when it comes. However, the the first kids and adults that got cochlear implants still have the original technology that they were implanted with. Okay. Um, and the companies are very cognizant of making sure that they kind of reverse, they, they make sure that whatever technology they come out for the external part still works with older technology that's implanted internally. So, you know, okay. flash forward, if Taylor is going to college, my daughter goes to college at some point in the future or is, you know, 30 and she decides, no, the technology's better. I want to give it a shot. I, I could see that. And I, and I believe that probably will happen actually. Okay. So she doesn't have to have another surgery, like as she grows to replace no. the cochlear implants or anything. Okay. Correct. Correct. So that she'll have that until she decides to do something else. And the manufacturers have come. So, and this is the other fun thing is <laughs> I keep saying the manufacturers, this, and I say fun thing again, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, obviously, but you find out your child is deaf. They've got to get a cochlear implant. There are three companies that manufacture cochlear implants and they tell you, go pick one. Hmm. How, what, based on what, how, right. how am I going to pick that? And so, so, you know, that's where the parent support group and other things come in. You talk to people now back, you know, when she was first born, it was very much a Yahoo group. Now it's very much a Facebook group <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, talking to and sharing the stories of, well, my child has this manufacturer versus that manufacturer. And Frankly, I think it comes down to 
who your surgeon is most comfortable using mm-hmm. um, and implanting and who has the best customer service. Because re- these are children getting these, they will break. They will break things. There are, I know, pe- I know people who have had dogs chew on the cochlear implants. They get stuck to refrigerators because there's a magnet. There's, there's all sorts of things that happen to these devices potentially. So at the end of the day, your surgeon's comfortable implanting the device is gonna make it work as effectively as possible and you're gonna do all the therapies that go with it. And then they need good customer service. That's really what you need to decide based on if you ask my opinion. <laughs> okay, so the cochlear implants, do they? does she have them on all the time or do you take them off? Cause you were like, they get stuck to the refrigerator. Yeah. I'm like, well, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> right, so um, yeah, so the external part has a magnet and it is through and I should have explained better that I explained the electrode that's implanted Mm -hmm. and it has a little bit of a magnet that lays right under the skin the external part connects with that magnet and then hooks on your ear and it looks like a probably typical hearing aid that you think of okay and the sound actually is collected in the external part and it goes through the magnet to the internal part so when she's sleeping when she is actually now, she showers with it on in a shower cap because then she can listen to music and sing and all sorts <laughs> of things. That's what my 12 year old does. But, and then there, and even for swimming and, and water activities, they make a uh, waterproof cover for it. Okay. So she takes it off essentially for sleeping and she really can do anything else with them. For sports, often, you know, we will put a band around it. If she's, if she's really swimming and jumping in the pool a lot and I want to go fish out a cochlear implant from the bottom of the pool <laughs> <laughs> or, or send some other poor kid, you know, or lifeguard down to the bottom of the pool, mm-hmm. which has happened to get the cochlear implant. We have a band that we kind of put. So she wears kind of like a headband, a sweatband. Okay. That kind of keeps them in place a little better. But yeah, effectively, she just takes them off each night when she's sleeping. Okay. So let's kind of go back to when, yeah. when the doctor told you that, um, that she was deaf, did you go through some, you know, what was your emotional state? How did you process? Like my child is different. I've come to call it a grieving period. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, there's no other way to say it because, you know, when you have a child, you don't conceive that anything's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And I don't, you know, when it's early and you don't know what the possibility is, it's hard to shake what's wrong. And when they're babies and they can't tell you, you know, mama, I'm really okay. Effectively, I just have hearing loss and ADHD, Mm -hmm. which is linked to the hearing loss in some ways and kind of executive function and, Mm -hmm. you know, short term memory, uh, working memory and those sorts sorts of things. They can't tell you that when you're a baby, when they're babies. Right. And really, she can't effectively tell me that now. I just know that to be the case, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a grieving period. You just don't know what that looks like. I mean, it, you don't know how that, com- that comes back too. For a while, I could not tolerate the smell of the soap in a children's hospital mm-hmm. because we'd go in and we'd have to wash our hands to go see her in the NICU. And then we were always there and there was, you know, you had to go change a diaper because she was really small and we're going all the time. Mm-hmm. You had to go change a diaper. So you're washing your hand. I could, and I was there through the hurricane. That's where I lived during the hurricane. I could not like, so the, the smell of the soap at the children's hospital just was this overwhelming emotion for me for the longest. So it was a trigger. It was a trigger. It absolutely was. And, um, and of course, you don't want to cry and be emotional in front of your child who knows no different. I mean, let's be clear. She has no idea, especially as really young, she had no idea she was different. So that's not sadness or heaviness that you want to put on your child. Right. And then frankly, I think a lot of moms, we do this. You go into, okay, we've got things to do. There's a thing I've got to address. I've got to make this as, as the best situation possible. And it takes a while to get to the place of, you know, God did this for a reason. He's got a plan. Here we are. And you know what? She's actually pretty unique. The same kid that pulls her feeding tube out at two months and never 
I mean, not a single time after that she pulled it out. <laughs> Did she need that feeding tube? That same child figures out ways to do all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And she's got an eye for detail that people would kill for. Mm. <laughs> because there are things that she sees that you just think, flashed on the screen once I didn't see that mm-hmm. things that she remembers that like well I didn't pay attention to that detail and 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 so that makes her see the world differently mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of a fun journey to be on right because it's certainly not how I see the world and I don't think that's just because I'm deaf or not deaf I think that's also because she's her own unique person and so it right. takes time to put away the kind of breathing of what she can't do Mm-hmm. to look at what she can do. That is so good. Can you say that again? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll try, but yes, I think it takes time to see, you know, see for see her for what she can do instead of what she can't do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than, and it's funny because now it is very much, okay, well, we put the cochlear implants in a little drying kit. So like people with hearing aids have the same, Older people might have, you might see like a little device, they put them in it and it just keeps the electronics dry. Like people have sanitizers for their mm-hmm. cell phones or you put, you put your cell phone in rice if it gets in water. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's the equivalent of that, but we do it every night. So there's a little kit. So we put it in there. She charges the batteries. There's rechargeable batteries, but you know, and, and then there's a, a lapel microphone that she uses at school with her teachers. Mm-hmm. But largely, it's not, it's not like front of mind. Like, I don't think my deaf daughter, I think my daughter, this unique, colorful person that she is, and she's deaf. And so there's these things, there's a ritual we do around the equipment and that sort of thing, which frankly, she does now and has for a while. Yeah. Are you a parent feeling overwhelmed and stressed out? Do you need support or someone to talk with about your concerns? If so, look no further. I offer parent coaching, specializing in working with parents of children with disabilities. Let me help you eliminate overwhelm and guide you to your next step. Go to nextstepseducation.com. That's next, N-E-X-T, steps, S-T-E-P-S, education, E-D-U-C-A-T-I-O-N.com for more information. So what did childcare or school look like for her? How did you, how did you navigate that? Yeah, it's all very interesting. So in preschool, it, it doesn't matter as much. The, the chief concern in preschool was don't let the other kids touch her ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't let them touch the implants. Don't let them touch. Preschoolers are just curious and you'd hear stories of people, you know, a parent would say, Oh, well, you know, there was some kid that had my kid, my daughter's hearing aid in her mouth. Well, we don't want any of that. So, <laughs> so that's the main thing we're warning of, you know, the teachers about. And because of the other things, you know, you, you got to lift your head up and you got to sit up and you got to crawl and you got to all those typical things. Um, interestingly enough, kids with hearing loss do have a higher, well, they often walk later. So she was um, two before she was walking. Hmm. And part of that is your hearing and your vestibular system go together, right? They form, they develop at the same time and often you'll have problems with both. So people who have, people, often people who have hearing issues can have dizzy spells or other things. Or if you have a constant ringing in your ear, you could have um, dizzy spells and other things because your vestibular system keeps you balanced. Mm. And it so it can be affected. So she was a late walker, like I said, as, as our other deaf kids. But preschool looks like you got to work on all those skills. And okay. all the kids were working on those skills. She went to a preschool, um, or I should say infancy looked like that. Then she went to preschool. There, we we're fortunate enough in, in this city to have a preschool that caters to deaf children. Mm. And so we put her in that school because also, you know, there's a teacher of the deaf that teaches the Mm -hmm. class. There is an audiologist in the building and there's a speech therapist in the building. And so we were kind of in and around those services and that organization. In fact, I'm on the board for that organization (laughs) because we 
have an ongoing relationship, she still mm -hmm. has to go back to the audiologist once a year, that sort of thing. But, but that was great for us because they could look at fine tuning things like, well, you know, if you're not saying D correctly or you're replacing D with S, that's not a typical sound that kids mess up. Mm -hmm. That's something with your implant. So they pull her out of class in audiology and they go tinker with it and test it, run some tests, and then they'd send her back and then they'd see how it was going. And then they'd of course communicate with us. Mm -hmm. So it was a great way for us to learn about all of the things she was going through and where she was going, but also give her the support and start building skills she needed. So she left there um, and went to mainstream kindergarten, okay. which was a private school that um, it, it just wasn't the right place for her. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the right place for her because they weren't ready to, they, they didn't fully understand what that is. Mm -hmm. A deaf child with, that listens and speaks, she could fake it really well. <laughs> I mean, even now, she, she, no one taught her how to read lips back to that visual thing that she can do. No one, we never taught her to read lips, but she can do it. Mm. So there were times where we know, like I'd pick her up and, you know, at five, she wasn't completely in charge of her equipment. Right. And there were times I'd pick her up and I'm like, you don't hear me, do you? Mm. Sure enough, something had happened during the day and they were like, oh, well, she seemed to be catching on. Well, but she didn't hear you. So my child has been half a day at school without any, you know, you don't want to learn new information just reading lips. That's right. not what we've, you know, so that wasn't the right place for, but we found a, a small school that kind of focused on kids with language disorders. Okay. She was the only deaf child at that school, but that's where she went for first through fifth grade. They mostly had kids with dyslexia, um, auditory processing disorder, which looks very, very similar to auditory neuropathy, which she has. So yeah, and even there, it was advocating for her. Mm -hmm. It was about, look, she doesn't look like a kid with dyslexia. She doesn't have dyslexia. In fact, I brought her to you reading. She was reading when she left preschool because the, the teachers knew that that was going to be a good path for her, as it is for many deaf kids, to get information. Mm -hmm. If you can't hear it, you're going to read it. Whether you're reading captions on a screen or reading a book uh, to stay ahead of what your college professor's talking about, you need reading skills. And so um, so it still took, even in, the, in that school, advocating for her. Um, and now she's at a school. And, and so we, now, now in middle school, middle school is fun for so many reasons, but- yes. <laughs> Um, for so many reasons, it's just the age, right? It's just the time in life. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing that happens as far as school goes is kids start changing classes. Mm -hmm. Change classes, you're changing voices. And changing mm -hmm. voices means, means you spend a few minutes, if you're deaf, acclimating to that voice. And so then imagine you know, there's a little bit you're missing at the beginning of school. Mm -hmm. And we, she did that during COVID. So we started the school year at one school. We went through the public school process for an IEP, having her accommodation set up and the like. School signed off, we signed off, the school didn't provide the services, It's just mm -hmm. what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And while I do fault them for that, I also recognize that, you know, we're in a pandemic and they were trying to figure out how to do Zoom school and engage a lot of kids, all right. the kids for different reasons, different things that were happening in the lives of everybody at the mm -hmm. school. Um, so effectively, we decided to pull her out of that school after the first two grading periods. And we had her go to another school. The school she's at now, also a public school, middle school, has teachers of the deaf in the building, has a, has a teacher of the deaf in the building that works with her. So she goes to all the classes with everyone else. Um, but then she's pulled out to work on some specific skills and listening and things that might kind of validating that she heard what she heard. Okay. She also has what's called a cart um, transcriber. So it's a, you know, it's effectively, it's a court reporter mm -hmm. who types every single word that's said, attributes, attributes it to who says it, like either a student says it 
or the teacher says it and it pops across the screen so she can read along if she needs to, to understand in the midst of background noise and kids mm-hmm. otherwise being kids. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something you had to fight for or is that something that was just part of her disability? Like the school already offered that. Right. So the school didn't necessarily just offer it, but it is something that you can get for a deaf child through your IEP. So if you ask for it and and then they do do a qualifying type process, like for instance, you you don't get cart services. You don't have a transcriber for early elementary kids who are just learning to read, right? Mm. Because they're just learning to read. But, you know, in middle school with a strong reader, you can do that, right? And so there is a qualification process, but it's something you document in the IEP. Mm -hmm. You request it as a parent. When they do their uh, testing, they test for it. And then um, you have the the transcriber. We get the transcription every day. It's actually kind of nice because I can flip through the transcript and make (laughs) sure that like, okay, you really don't have any homework tonight. As opposed to you saying you don't have any homework tonight. So it's, so it's kind of nice in that regard too. But, um, but yeah, that is something. And I would say um, the other thing about transcription, and someone told us this early on, another parent, you know, if you have a deaf child, turn on the captions really early. Mm. They'll get used to words and, 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 and reading the words and actually it helps their reading skills. It helps reading skills for hearing kids too, by the way. There's like research out there somewhere on that too. Mm. But it's interesting because I can tell at times the way she pronounces things, you read that on the caption, you didn't hear that. <laughs> it's like, that's not, that's not really how we say that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not how that person's name is pronounced or whatever it is. So the transcription though is something I think we also got her ready for early because we did turn on the captions when she was a new reader. Okay. And and have always kind of used that. So that helps um, a lot too. And frankly, you just, you know, communicate with the teacher. You teach them to advocate for themselves because there's so many situations where even still, I think, ah, you know, I really didn't think of how that's not a great hearing situation. Mm -hmm. Going to a restaurant, restaurants are horrible, concrete floors and sounds bouncing everywhere. And, you know, so teaching her to say, you know what, I can't really hear you well. And she, oh, and I didn't mention, I didn't clarify this earlier. She hears very well out of one side of one cochlear implant. The other one helps, but by itself, she doesn't hear well with that ear. So for her, it's like she has one-sided sound, which means she can't locate sound. So when something, when she hears something, she doesn't know which direction it comes from. So I, you know, we made sure we, we, we had to teach her that like, when you hear something, you need to ask, well, well, where are you? Like in our house, if you're yelling across your house, you know, did you make up your bed <laughs> you know, in the morning? All the, all the things that moms end up yelling around the house, come on, get your stuff. We gotta go. Um, she'll have to ask like, where are you? Like what room, what, where, where are you? Are you in the kitchen? <laughs> Cause I'm in my room and I don't know what you're saying. Or more importantly, safety things. So when you hear a sound, you need to look both ways crossing the street every time. Mm-hmm. Don't just assume, I mean, and everybody does, but it's it's heightened when you don't know where the sound is coming from, right? So because she, she hears more so in one ear than the other, but and she started with the cochlear implants early, is her speech as fluid? as like ours or is it different because of the hearing the the greater hearing loss so it's not because of the greater hearing loss on one ear but because her the auditory neuropathy that has it kind of slightly off channel and some signs staticky and the like you basically you hear or you speak as you hear Mm -hmm. and so her hearing is a little bit muffled and so her speech is a little bit muffled and so she's at an age now and practice and speech therapy and all that, that most new, you know, people she meets do understand. It's interesting because socially kids make less allowances for trying to understand you than adults do. Mm. So it's easier for her to talk to an adult. So, you know, new school, I find 
she's talking to her teacher at recess as opposed to talking with the other kids. So that's something we've had to kind of work on. And I've asked the teacher, so, you know, a good relationship with a teacher, encourage her to talk to the other kids and, and just be on the lookout for, are they isolating her or is she isolating herself? And let's see if we can help her connect. Because she does talk a little funny mm-hmm. there to like you or I. But again, she's getting to where I think most people, in fact, I was just reading her um, kind of progress report from her speech therapist. And they were saying, you know, we, we pulled up a couple of people who don't know her and they understood her. Okay. So, so let me ask you, as a African-American mom, what was it like navigating the type of hearing? Well, well, just <laughs> deafness, just in general, but then also the specific type of hearing loss that she had. You know, yeah, so, you know, it's interesting, right? There, there's, there's so much to say. (laughs) I'll, I'll start with an example. And I, and I, she had, she got an infection in her cochlear implant, basically, when she was three, we realized there was some spongy material, what was going on there. Um, Effectively, you know, we, we, we ended up having emergency surgery to, to remove it Mm. because we didn't want the infection to travel to her brain and cause meningitis or some other sort of brain infection. So in the time we're in the hospital and they're researching, they're trying to figure out things. I'm working, talking to the infectious disease doctor at the children's hospital. We're talking to all these people and their mastoiditis and all these things. And I mean, you know, probably I've used too many like technical terms, even just in this podcast, but (laughs) that's what I do. I go in, I dive in, I read it, I find it out and I figure it out. And I, and I, um, I I have the wherewithal to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was blessed to be able to work in a biochemistry lab when I was in high school for a little while. So like Mm. that sort of, those things don't scare me. I was saying before, I I knew of a deaf kids when I was in middle school. So I was like, I'm all in, I'm figuring this out. I'm reading research. I'm reading scientific journals. I'm doing all this. Um, You know, I've got a master's degree and not that those are important things, Mm -hmm. but the way that I told the story of this infection, literally we got to the point that it was time to go. It was time to leave the hospital. And everybody was kind of saying that, well, we just want to, we need someone to come in and coach you on how to use this. And the infectious disease doctor, who I spent all this time with, and I'm asking all these questions of, and I guess she realizes I know what's going on, literally has to go tell the other doctors, this woman is very educated. I'm very mm. comfortable with this child going home. Wow. And it's a constant reminder that as a black woman, that is not who they saw first mm-hmm. coming in to advocate for their child. Mm. And what pains me about that story and other things that have happened similar is it doesn't matter that I have a master's degree. Right. It doesn't matter that I read all these scientific journals and stuff. What matters is I'm a parent here advocating for my child. Right. And you're supposed to listen. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're supposed to listen to that. You're supposed to act on that. Not assume that you know better. Not not listen to me. Not all of those things. And there were multiple instances of, I'm going to say this again, real slowly for the people in the back. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, there were times that it was like, you're going to make me not be nice mm-hmm. because I need you to hear what I'm saying. And that to me is the toughest part of it all. Once you've had a couple conversations with me, it's pretty clear that I'm going to advocate for my child and I probably know more about it than you do. Because this is what also happens is, you know, you're, you're the expert in your child. Exactly. So I can tell you the things that happened in her test before. I can tell you that that didn't work before. Mm-hmm. I can tell you what that looks like at home. I'll take notes and record how that looks every day. I can tell you that. So pretty quickly... We're going to, I'm going to keep drilling at it until you come up with an answer that makes sense, that makes me feel like I was heard mm-hmm. and that I'm the expert in my child and I'm telling you that and you hurt me. And I think that's a thing that, you know, 
by virtue of being a mahogany mom, that is what that looks like, right? I mean, that's what advocating with for your child looks like. And so, you know, and I talked about being on the board for this organization now, it, it's, you know, fortunately, they they all know me, obviously, and 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 they know our journey. Mm-hmm. But I advocate for the other moms too and say, look, I mean, this mom didn't speak English as her first language, but what she said was, right. <laughs> and so you need to hear that. Like, you know, especially something that, you know, the, the, no, no medical condition, illness or whatever looks exactly the same in every person anyway. So mm-hmm. why are you not listening? Why are you not listening is what it comes down to. So, you know, and, and, and the nice thing, so that's that's kind of the downside. Now, the other side is I can help other people advocate mm-hmm. for them, their ch- children, but also you get these wonderful people along the way that I would not have known had my child not gone through this, not, you yes. know, that are part of her cheering squad. She's got a big cheering squad. <laughs> Again, she's a feisty 12-year-old. Uh, so people know her. I mean, people people see her and they've seen her over time and they see the progress that she mm-hmm. makes in speaking and they see that she's not shy and they or that she's got her own cheering squad be that at church be that at her you know at the clinic be there wh- wherever she is mm-hmm. her, her orthodontist she's got a cheering squad at the orthodontist <laughs> it's just you know it's 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 her nature so that's also kind of the nice part too is that she does have a cheering squad and and that's important because I think mm-hmm. it's important that special needs kids know that they're loved. Yes. Know that they're unique and loved and know that, you know what? Everybody's unique. So just yes. find your place. You find your place. You do your thing. <laughs> so the thing that I loved, I have loved most about this conversation is that you are so well versed on your daughter's condition. I mean, you were talking like if I didn't know any better and I had met you on the side of the road, I'd be like, she must be a doctor because she knows this (laughs) stuff like inside and out. But I think what that says to me and what I hope it says to other moms is that just like you said, you are the expert. So you don't have to go to school for, you know, eight years to be Mm -hmm. a medical professional to know your child and to know and understand whatever conditions plague them, right? Because even somebody who doesn't have special needs Mm -hmm. has something, right? And so as a parent, you can know that about your child and then express that. So I love that you are so well-versed in her condition and you can, you are determined and have been determined to advocate for her. So I love that. And I love the fact that you came on and you shared because we don't hear enough about hearing loss, especially in the Mm -hmm. black community or deafness, we know that it's there, but we just don't hear a lot about it. And so I thank you for sharing your story and being so open and transparent. Absolutely. I'm glad I could share. And so how can other moms, if they, they have questions or they want to reach out to you, where can they find you? So I am, I think the easiest thing is probably through LinkedIn. So I'm out on LinkedIn. I actually used to officially be a volunteer point for one of the cochlear implant manufacturers just as a parent who would share. I think the other thing, if you have a child with hearing loss, the Facebook groups and the like, they're normally private groups. So you kind of, you know, join and then there are wealth of information. That's where you get a lot of information. So especially if you're trying to figure out, you know, um, questions uh, like, well, (laughs) my daughter and her, you know, somewhat rare form of hearing loss. Well, there's there's enough people on the board, you'll find a couple others out there, right? Okay. Um, but then also like trying to figure out which cochlear implant manufacturer. So I w- those that's a great resource. And, and probably, you know, we, we all become pretty well versed in things. So you can kind of pick up the lingo and you, <laughs> you learn the information along the way and people will point you to articles and books and other things to read. Um, there's wonderful children's books to, to read to your kids too. Okay. So they can learn about hearing loss. There's all these wonderful things kind of along the way. But um, yeah, so reach out to me specifically. I would say LinkedIn is the best um, option. Okay. And then absolutely join the parent groups like on Facebook. Um, there's parents of cochlear kids with cochlear implants. There are, if you were to type in cochlear implant kids, you probably get five different things that can come up. Okay. There's local resources as well. And you know, most cities around the country, and then actually ask your audiologist, your speech therapist, 
and the ENT, the ENT who actually, ear, nose and throat, otolaryngologist who actually does the surgery, ask all of those people also for resources and parents and people that you can connect with. Because, you know, there's not that many of us and we all talk. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And we'll, I'll put her information LinkedIn in the show notes. And so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Hey y'all. So there were a couple of things that um, Nichelle spoke on that I just wanted to reiterate. So if you're a parent and your child, you've just gotten a diagnosis that your child has a disability, there are two things that she said that really stuck out that I want to just remind you all of. One is once you've gotten the diagnosis, she talks about grieving what your child can't do instead of focusing on what they can do. And so if you're a parent and you've just recently got a diagnosis of a disability in your child, I'm not saying not to grieve. I want you to grieve the loss of what you were expecting or hoping for, but I also want you to not stay there. I want you to, you know, you know, grieve the loss of what your child is not able to do based on where they are right now. But more so than that, I want you to focus on the things that your child is doing or can do. Because just like Nichelle pointed out, there are things that her daughter does or sees that kind of just blow her mind that she just is, is unique to her and that will serve her well as she grows and matures into a, into a young woman. The other thing that I want to remind parents are, and this goes for, this goes for all parents, but you are the expert at your child. No, you may not be medically trained. You may not be a physician. You may not be your child's teacher, but you know your child better than anybody else. And so I just want to remind you that you are an expert at your child. You know them, you know, uh, the kinds of things that set them off, their triggers, uh, things that make them happy, things that make them sad. You are the expert at your child. And so it's important that you remember that when you are advocating for your child or or trying to get something, because I know a lot of times parents can feel intimidated by, you know, doctors or teachers. And so whatever they tell us, you know, whatever a, a medical professional or a teacher may tell a parent, they take it as gold. But no, you are the expert on your child. So while they may be the expert uh, teaching third grade, they are not the expert on your child. And so just, you know, wanting to remind you um, of that, that you know your child better than anyone else. And so when you go to bat for your child, just remind yourself that you can be confident in the fact that I, I this is my child and I know them better than anyone else. And so I just wanted to do those, share those two things because they really stood out to me as she was sharing with us. And so again, you know, focusing if your child has recently been diagnosed or has been diagnosed, focusing on what they can do. And then remembering that you are your, your child's ex. You are the expert at your child. You know them better than anybody else. So you got this mom. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.